Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, y'all. Greta here. I just wanted to let you know we actually have an update to this week's episode. We taped our conversation about Jeopardy's new host on Thursday morning. And since then, you may have seen Mike Richards has announced he will step down from hosting. So even though part of the conversation you're about to hear is a little bit out of date, it's still relevant enough to the news that we decided to keep it in this week's episode. All right, that's it. Thanks. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we are going to talk to the delightful Eve Ewing about how she tapped into her inner kid to write her new middle grade novel, Maya and the Robot. All the things I am interested in are kind of like middle school interests. And then I became a middle school teacher. It's just weird to just be like, I just really want to play video games and read comic books and, you know, watch Jurassic Park and stuff like that. But first, it's our panel on the week that was. With us this week, we have Hunter Klaus. He writes WBEZ's daily newsletter, The Rundown. Hunter, hey. Hey, Greta. Thanks for having me on the show. It's nice hearing your voice. It's nice hearing your voice, too. We never see each other anymore. What the heck? (laughs) And we also have New York Times TV critic Margaret Lyons. She also writes a little newsletter called Watching. Margaret, welcome. Thanks for having me. So this was like both a weird and heavy week, I think it's fair to say, especially when you think about the fact that, you know, Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Haiti suffered a massive earthquake. On top of all of that, there is a global pandemic that just won't let up. Uh, There was a lot of talk this week about the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine and the need for a booster shot. The vaccines are still highly effective and the best way to prevent serious illness. That said, some vaccinated people are still getting COVID, including Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And the CDC says immunocompromised people should get a booster shot now, while other vaccinated people should get a third shot eight months after their last dose. Meanwhile, here in Chicago, where we all live, masking is again required in indoor public spaces. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to check in. Like, how how are y'all feeling about that? Margaret, what do you think? I mean, feeling bad, right? I think we're all kind of feeling yeah. bad. And just this kind of uh, like mental trap of like, are we moving forward? Are we mm-hmm. moving backwards? Are we standing still? You know, like not kind of knowing how to metabolize your anxiety or like what vessel to put it in is like, oh, is this healthy amount of worry or is this unhealthy amount of worry? Is it helpful to get worked up about this or unhelpful? Um, So I think like a lot of people, I'm just kind of feeling a little at the end of my rope, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I think especially the idea of like, is this a backslide has been one that is just really because it feels like it, right? I mean, I I had a very narrow window where I actually wasn't wearing a mask before like Delta seemed weird enough. So I pretty much have been wearing a mask in indoor public spaces for the last, I don't know, month-ish anyway. And to a certain extent, I think I'm glad that the rule is happening again, just because then it's like, okay, it's not just up to me to decide what feels safe. But I don't know. I mean, it's still, 
the, the whole thing is just so exhausting. What do you think, Hunter? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I can't do another lockdown. <laughs> yeah. I look like, you know, but from the last one, I feel like I've aged 10 years and I look like a gay Gandalf. And, you know, <laughs> I just need like a wizard outfit when I walk my dog. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, Margaret said it, nailed it on the head. It's just exhausting and you know, like it's just anxiety inducing and it just feels like at the end of the day, you've got to figure out how you can just live with this now. It's just not going to go away and it's just going to be a part of of life now. But, you know, I think in Chicago, there's just, you know, I'm just waiting for them to announce uh, proof of vaccination in uh, for bars, restaurants and other mm-hmm. places. Because uh, like the numbers just keep going up and you know, we'll see what the mask mandate does, but, you know, it just revives the same kind of questions of like, how do you wear a mask in a bar? Like, how do you wear a mask in a restaurant? Yeah. So do you, what do you think about a possible lockdown? Like, do you, is that something that you are sort of like starting to emotionally prepare yourself for or not yet? I don't, I mean, (laughs) I I don't know if it's going to happen and it seems very unlikely it's going to happen. I don't think anyone wants to do it. And, uh, but I mean, it, it, like emotionally, I feel like I'm on lockdown, you know, like I don't go to bars anymore. I don't go to restaurants. Um, you know, I don't go to movie theaters, even though there's like a ton of movies I wanted to go see, like the Green Knight and, yeah. you know, the next Marvel movie that's coming up. So like, I kind of feel like, yeah, I'm like, I'm, like mentally I'm stuck in my apartment again. Yeah. It's really, it's, yeah, it's terrifying and it's exhausting and it's overwhelming. Um, so in much less intense, but perhaps just as controversial news, Jeopardy announced their plans for who's going to take over hosting duties after Alex Trebek. Uh, Mike Richards, who was an executive producer is taking on the main show and actress Mayim Bialik will host possible spinoffs. Um, there are a lot of people who are very, very upset that reading Rainbow Star LeVar Burton didn't get the job. I'm curious. Uh, I mean, especially, Margaret, like you were literally a, well, you not only watch TV for a living, you also write about TV for a living, to <laughs> clarify. But like, did you watch the tryouts? How plugged into this were you? Um, I watched some of the tryouts and then by osmosis, I feel like everyone I know is a Jeopardy super duper fan. Mm. Um, so I was hearing the sort of, uh, various strands of the peanut gallery through family emails and texts and stuff like that. And what was the general, I mean, seemed like at least on my timeline, everyone was just really upset that LeVar Burton was robbed. Is that the general consensus from your point of view too? That certainly seems like the Twitter consensus, Mm. but I'm not sure, um, you know, it feels a little to me like a kind of Team Coco 2.0 where it's like, oh, the internet has this kind of like huge rallying moment around a star. But when push comes to shove, like that did not actually translate at all to actual viewership. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like I'm, I didn't think LeVar Burton was that good of a host. Mm-hmm. Um, as more stuff has emerged about that, how the host selection process went, you know, Mike Richards, who is now named the host, he was also the person in charge of coaching the would-be mm. hosts in their audition processes. So it makes you wonder, like, did everyone get, you know, sort of appropriate, yeah. uh, direct, meaningful coaching or not? Um, as the announcements came out, like, more and more stuff is surfacing about Mike Richards. There's an article recently on The Ringer by Claire McNear about his podcast that he'd had for years. And a lot of it is 
uh, misogynistic. There's some anti-Semitic jokes. There's it's just like this overall kind of like broy, mm. really unsavory, um, like just that kind of grody like uh, yeah guy who like criticizes women's bodies and like tells you know his producer that her friends shouldn't wear one piece bathing suits and it's just kind of like oh, oh god like uh and so you know i think we've all kind of been through a story like this a billion right. times and so i think now it's just a matter of like oh is this sort of the beginning of the amount of dirt here is this the yeah. end of the amount of dirt here and it seemed like sony kind of had no idea about any of this mike richards took down all the podcast episodes hmm. so it just is like you know, I can't believe after so many iterations of like marginally qualified white man continues to achieve that like <laughs> we're still gonna do the exact same stuff in the exact same way where the exact same kinds of misogynistic comments come out and the exact same kind of performance of apology emerges and the same kinds of like then we have the character you know, it just is it's so um it's demoralizing and exhausting and it feels like, you know, how come why why are people better able to Google than a hiring manager at Sony, you know? Well, it just, just to add on to what you're saying, it, it just seems like the most Chicago way of like handling that, right? <laughs> like it, it just feels like, you know, Mayor Daly appointing someone who he knew mm. to like Streets and Sands or something. With LeVar Burton, there was, you know, a chance for them to kind of like widen their audience or expand it with people who may not have been like diehard Jeopardy yeah. fans, but like may have given it more of a chance if there was someone who brought a certain level of excitement to it that wasn't this, you know, milk dud that they they picked. And it just kind of missed out. It was just, it, it was a swing and a whiff. Yeah, it does seem like it. It really does seem like it. So I also want to talk about something that's been blowing up on TikTok. Over the past week or so, freshman girls at Southern Universities have been making TikToks about trying to get into sororities, also known as rushing. Hi, y'all. So it is the third round this is the first day of sisterhood so fun okay hey y'all so i'm gonna do a little outfit of the day i'm going through sorority recruitment at auburn university oh otd oted the oted the oted of the day all regular jewelry y'all know it the set is from amazon okay um this is a uh, lululemon and then i chose this skirt because i want to be different than everybody else it's from the kids target even though i target kids section we get it emma and then this is a lulu jacket because i said it gets cold in there and then i'm wearing my on clouds <laughs> so as you can hear and probably guess the videos are mostly of like you know thin white blonde affluent women posting their outfits of the day uh tiktok's algorithm made the whole thing really take off a lot of people watched these and got super into them uh and some of the girls have really racked up a lot of followers and people have become like pretty intensely invested in the whole situation uh, you could call it a glance into a world that a lot of us don't know much about but on the other hand i don't know it's also like pretty voyeuristic um i'm curious are either of you talk tiktok people hunter are you a tiktok guy oh yeah i love i love tiktok so did these come up in your feed did you find did you see them I gotta say, I didn't know about it until I saw it in the in the papers. Um, I mostly just follow like gay TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. What about you, Margaret? Did you follow this at all? Uh, no. I mean, I I do follow other stuff on TikTok, but I think this sort of like cottage industry of basically like 30 year old bloggers explaining 20 year old TikTokers to 40 year old readers mm -hmm. is like <laughs> this kind of ongoing cycle. And so it's like right now it's this, but like every, like literally every two weeks, it's another like why TikTok is doing blank and like what's happening yeah. on TikTok and this kind of like cycle of like, 
Oh, I remember when this was like sea shanty stuff. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We did do the Um, sea shanty thing, too. Which was like, so it's sort of like you have this initial cycle of like something becomes very popular. And so this like very bright spotlight shines in this like previously dimmer corner of, you know, the planet. (laughs) Then because like fame is abuse, right? So like this amount of energy, like this amount of focus, like no... No organization, no matter how reputable, could sustain that kind of scrutiny, let alone something as fraught and poisonous as the Greek system. So I think like now we're going to get the backlash. And then after that comes the backlash of the backlash of like how actually the backlash is itself perpetuating whatever. Um, And then, you know, in two weeks, none of us will care except five of these, I guess, basically children will have, you know, some kind of um, spawn con deal Mm -hmm. with I guess Lulu's. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, like, I'm not trying to. Like, I, I guess, like, Suck at this point, all the fun out of it. I guess at this point, my like cynicism around the whole sort of like what's happening on TikTok, like media cycle, it has like calcified into a real like. It is almost impossible to like convince me to give a shit about like any like, and I, like this is like not. Like, I mean, I'm a big sort of, like, abolish the Greek system person in the first place. Mm. But I think that, like, all of this stuff is, like, especially when, um, you know, so much of TikTok um, stuff is, like, boring and stupid and not that funny, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's sort of where the algorithm, like, does its most work is, like, oh, if enough people watch something, then that takes on value rather than something having to be actually particularly interesting or necessary. Yeah. And so, like, I guess I'm already just ready for, like, the next thing of, like, I don't know, like, bringing back sweater vests or whatever dumb shit. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, like I... Okay, okay. Sorry. I mean, yeah, no. (laughs) No, I, I love it. So let's zoom out a little bit. I mean, partly why... I don't know. Partly why I imagine these are interesting to people is because, like, at least for me, I didn't even go to a school that had a Greek system. So, like, my only knowledge of any of that really is from watching the television show Greek, which came out how many years ago? I mean, a long time ago. But that show remains so good. Does it hold up? Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. But I don't know. It made me wonder, like, did either of you actually rush? Hell no. Hunter? I mean, uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, <laughs> like, I don't even know how I would have done that. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I think just like that. I think you just did it. That's hilarious. Well, Margaret, Hunter, thank you both so much. This was an absolute delight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You can rush my sorority anytime, Greta. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter, we'll see. (laughs) When we come back, we'll be sitting down with one of the coolest humans on earth, author, scholar, and poet Eve Ewing. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
Our next guest is Eve Ewing. She is a professor at the University of Chicago. She has a doctorate from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She has written for Marvel. She also has a poetry collection. And she wrote a book about the public school closures that hit Chicago's South Side. As if that weren't enough, she has a new book out for middle grade readers. It's called Maya and the Robot. And it's about friendship and vulnerability and community and curiosity, among many other things. Just a heads up for all you readers out there, we are going to get into some like very light spoilers. So if that's not your thing, go read the book. If you're a grown up, it's going to take you like two hours. I recommend that you read it along with your kids and then you can listen along with your kids too. It's just such a good book. Eve is with us now. Eve, hi. Hi, it's so good to be here with you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. I really loved it. I thought it was super sweet. Thank um, you. So you teach college students now, but you've taught at all sorts of different grade levels. Um, Maya, our main character, is just starting fifth grade. I'm curious, what were the elements that you wanted to include for kids kind of around that age? Yeah, well, the the book came from a moment with my niece. Um, when she was about two, she started a robot obsession that yes. lasted for a couple of years. <laughs> and I, I don't know where, like, I can't pin if she, like, saw a certain movie or, like, where it came from. But, you know, kids get these obsessions. It's like dinosaurs or airplanes or trains mm-hmm. or whatever. And her thing was robots. And so whenever she played with a toy, she'd put two blocks on top of each other and be like, it's a robot. Um, she used to say robot instead of robot, which was also really cute and kind of sad that that went away. Um, and when she was four, the Museum of Science and Industry had this robotics exhibit and I took her and she was just like wrapped with attention. It was mm-hmm. the best day ever. And uh, about a week later, we were driving by the museum and she was kind of slumped in the back of my car and she looked out the window and she said, I just wish I could have a robot to go everywhere with me and be my friend. Mm -hmm. And my heart exploded into a thousand (laughs) pieces and then like ascended to the heavens and, you know, like became stars in the sky. Like it was just so emotional. And so I think that that's this question of what, you know, when she said that, how I interpreted that coming from a four-year-old is like um, really about unconditional love and Mm -hmm. care and being seen. Um, And so In this book, Maya is in a place in her life where she has some great friends and she's separated from them temporarily and she's not feeling seen. She's not feeling understood. She's not really sure about her own place in the world. And this robot, Ralph, becomes her best friend who goes everywhere with her and helps her in in his kind of unconditional love and friendship and desire to to be there for her. Um, He helps her see the ways that so many other people in her community are, are also, you know, valuing and loving her and also the ways that she should value and love herself and so that's kind of it's kind of what I hope young people take from it oh my gosh totally it reminds me of one of my favorite lines for the book which was it's as Maya is kind of describing the perfect friend and she says it's someone who would agree with me most of the time and other times we can have interesting debates and arguments someone who would do the things I liked to do or teach me how to do new things and help me be brave enough to try them it's a beautiful ode to friendship. And I think it also speaks a lot to, I don't know, like just the human condition of childhood in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. there's this moment when Maya says you go your whole life thinking you want to be treated like you're older. But when it happens, it feels so heavy. Yeah, it's so um, true. <laughs> which it's so true. Right? I mean, I still feel that way. Right. It's like, oh, seriously. But I don't know. I mean. I think in both of those instances, like I'd love to hear about how you figured out how to capture the voice of a fifth grader in a way that like took that age really seriously, but also was 
is readable for a fifth grader. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was um, a great craft challenge. Hearing you read that passage, I think about um, Sandra Cisneros has this famous mm-hmm. short story called Eleven. Um, and the protagonist, um, the, the narrator, it's it's her it's a first person story. And it's it's her 11th birthday. And she comes to school. And when it's time to go outside, somebody leaves this like kind of gross sweater in the closet. Um, <laughs> and you know, like the sweater that's been there since like the first day of school. Mm-hmm. And, and the teacher's like, whose sweater is this? And some other kid is like, oh, it's hers. And, and, and she she can't muster up the energy to say it's not my sweater. Mm-hmm. And so she's forced to put this sweater on and it's really scratchy and it smells bad. And it's her 11th birthday and she thinks about how when you're 11, you're also 10 and 9 and 8 and 7 and 6. And I just, it's an amazing short story that people should read if you, if you haven't read it. Um, And I think about, I think about that in both um, the way Maya is describing her own growing up, but also in my attempts to to write this book because, you know, I'm 35 and I'm also 34 and 33 and Mm -hmm. 32 and I'm also 11, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I used to joke all the time that, uh, that I, I kind of have like arrested development at the age of like 12 or so, because (laughs) all the things I am interested in are kind of like middle school interests. And then I became a middle school teacher. It's just weird to just be like, I just really want to play video games and read comic (laughs) books and, you know, watch Jurassic Park and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you know, ride bikes. (laughs) Those are kind of my, kind of my, my things I like to do. And, um, but I really think all of us, you know, it's such a cliche, but I think all of us have within us the very serious emotional lives that we, that we led as children. And I think that we are discouraged from taking those emotional lives seriously. And I think that that also keeps us from seeing them seriously in other young people. And so, um, I think that in writing the book, I really tried to think concretely about specific kids that I knew as a teacher and, you know, what they like to read and what they like to talk about and think about. Um, and I also um, have a, a cousin who's very dear to me, who's who's Maya's age. And when I lived in Boston, we lived in the same building. She was like my little baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I had a, a an editorial consultant who was um, – Another one of our nieces slash goddaughters um, <laughs> who is uh, herself also Maya's age. And she read the whole manuscript and I paid her I paid her an editorial fee. I asked her parents, like, what's an appropriate, you know, can I pay her to do this? She's an avid reader. And I just asked her, like, can you tell me your favorite part, your least favorite part, and what was most memorable and what mm. you think could be done differently? And so, yeah, I just tried to do um, some, some different checks and balances on making sure that um, – that, you know, the book was on the one hand kind of, for lack of a better word, authentic to that to that voice. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, really emotionally serious. And I think that I, I believe that about all young people. I, I don't believe that Maya is like especially different. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, maybe she has some some different words for some of her feelings because maybe adults around her have really encouraged her to talk about and think about her feelings. But um yeah, I was just trying to trying to go back to that place. And I also was a kid who at least once a year I cried in school. <laughs> like I would always try to make it through the whole year and then like something would happen and I would just cry, like ugly cry in school. Um, and and so, you know, I channeled that. There's a lot of moments of my like trying desperately not to cry. Mm-hmm. And that's that's yeah. probably one of the ways in which we are most alike as as characters. So there's a scene toward the end at the science fair and this little girl comes up and asks Maya about her project. And I don't know, I thought it was a really, there are a lot of powerful moments in the book, but that was one of my favorites, I think, because 
you know, it comes at a point where Maya sort of thinks of herself as having failed and she realizes that she's still a role model and has knowledge to share. And yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was really lovely. I'm curious about like how that scene came about for you. Yeah. The last shot of the book is, as you said, Maya kind of giving this impromptu presentation about her robot which she she didn't plan to do and she her actual science fair project that she did like fell apart and was a disaster and Mm -hmm. everything is everything's basically gone really wrong (laughs) and um and she realizes that this little girl is listening and at the end the 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 girl who's younger than her says are you a real scientist and she Mm -hmm. says yes i am and um, I get like emotional saying no, that. No, it makes me emotional too. <laughs> like really I teared emotional. up reading it. It's really beautiful. Everyone listening is like, okay, this is just like a super mournful, like sad kids. But it's not sad. It's just emotional. It's just beautiful. It's just emotional. Um, it's a heart think, exploding thing. I yeah, get it. I think that I think that for me, in this moment of number one, Maya proclaiming herself, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I am, I am a scientist. Like that was in my head the kind of closing scene for a long time, and I also think it matters because. Um, you know, when I, so I actually started out um, teaching science when I taught middle school. I mm-hmm. later switched to English, which is, I was like, you know, the the reading and writing teacher left and I wrote my principal's letter. I was like, I'd like to teach, you know, I'm actually have an English degree and this would be, a better be great. Fit. But I love teaching <laughs> science and um, one of the, I taught at a school on the South Side. So, you know, virtually all of my students are black and I had a couple other students of color. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the first things I would have them do when they came to my class, like as 11 year olds, when they, they're just meeting me first week assignment, I would have them draw a picture like, what do you think a scientist looks like? And, you know, it was a great opportunity to, to kind of talk and say, all right, you know, a lot of you drew these kinds of like Einstein you know, like Doc Brown kind of characters, which are basically, you know, white men with crazy frazzled hair. And mm-hmm. um, and let's let's talk about some real scientists and the many things that real scientists can do and the many ways that real scientists can look. And so that's also, so it's Maya talking to herself and affirming herself, like, yes, I am a scientist, but also wanting young people to know, like, this is what mm-hmm. a scientist can look like. A scientist can be a little black girl with braids, you know, and jeans on. Um, so, and there's a couple other like professional scientists who appear in the book. One is a grad student and one is a professor and, um, you know, the professor is native and the grad student is a young black man. And, you know, that's also intentional. So I just wanted kids to kind of think a little bit differently and get some, some different representations of what a scientist might look like. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's really important and it's also beautiful. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's another storyline in this book that I think is really important. It's about gun violence. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the book, it's something that happened a long time ago. Um, And the, the person who was killed is a really promising young man. And you can see how much it impacted the neighborhood. And I, I thought you did a really great job of kind of getting to the trauma of it without like inflicting that trauma on young people. Right. That was hard. Yeah. I bet. Well, yeah. I mean, so to what extent was that element always part of the story you wanted to tell too? Yeah. You know, it's so weird, Greta, because so as you as you point out, it's I think it's okay for us to give a mild spoiler. Adults can read the whole book in like one day. So. <laughs> it's true. It's but, true. So, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's a central character in the in the book who is shot and killed. Um, and it's not it's very vague, like what happened to him. It's, right. You don't really know for a we long don't really time. know who you know shot him or happened. Right. Yeah. But somebody somebody shot him and killed him. And um, and Maya, part of how she, she comes to learn this 
um, it happened when she was a baby or when she was very young. Mm -hmm. And she finds out that this person that she really feels connected to in learning about him, that, that, that this happened to him and that he's gone. And there's a moment of feeling kind of like, why didn't adults tell me this Mm -hmm. info, you know? And I think that it was important to me to, to, um, normalize, Number one, the fact that when we lose people, that it doesn't just affect their immediate family, right? But that there are ripple effects of these losses and these traumas that impact everybody in a community. Mm-hmm. And number two, that for the, the countless innumerable people who are who are killed unnecessarily by guns every year, that that every single one of those people had a young person who cared about them. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, as with so many things in children's literature, if we just pretend it doesn't happen or if we ignore it, we're telling kids this is not okay to talk about. Right. Your experience is not okay. It's shameful. It should be kept secret. And so I also really hoped that the many children who have experienced something like my experience, whether it's someone that they knew closely or someone who's kind of, a, you know, a phantom in their family who they lost, um, to see that. And to, and I hope that it initiates some, some age-appropriate and perhaps challenging conversations. And the really wild thing is that... Um, that this happened to me, that uh, that when I, before I was born, um, a member, actually two members of my family before I was born were, were both shot and killed in separate um, incidents, mm-hmm. um, and that I didn't find out until I was much older. And, um, and I always wondered kind of why, it, my family is really pretty open about a lot of things, so mm-hmm. I, it was always hard for me to talk about and weird, um, in trying to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And to be like, what, not only, not only number one, I've lost these people that I, that I never got to meet and what would it have been like and what would they have been like? And number two, why didn't anybody tell me? And the really bizarre thing is that I did not make that connection in any way whatsoever until after the book was written. So I don't know if that was me subconscious. Like I wasn't like, oh, this was my experience and I want to write about it. Only after the book was written was I like, oh, this is my life. And so I guess that's probably me like subconsciously working through some some things um, in writing. But um, yeah, that is that is a thing that Maya and I also share. One of the things that uh, again, just giving much of the book away, but we're just gonna let that happen. One of the one of the things is that Maya um, it Maya is integral in the other people in her community uh, getting to a place where they're now comfortable talking about it. And so it's yeah. only because they see her kind of thriving and uplifting, uplifting the memory of this person who's gone without mm-hmm. even realizing it, right? She's, she's right. part of this legacy that she doesn't even know that she's part of. Only when they see her doing that are they like, oh, you know what? let's talk about this and let's have a memorial and let's remember and let's cry and let's grieve and that's okay. And so part of the other message is like when we, when we do the things that we love and live into our gifts in community with other people, Mm -hmm. that that is also a gift to the people that we care about and people who care about us. Yeah. I, I wrote down that line too. I thought it was really beautiful. The, the line was being yourself is a gift to others around you. It's a gift to the people who love you, and it's a way to remember the people who came before you, who made you what you are. Yeah. Now I'm gonna cry. Yeah, let's all cry. <laughs> I cried during I I cried during that scene every single time I revised like every like every pass of the book like copy edits I cried like it just the, the, and I knew fully what was gonna happen I wrote it I cry every single time. Mm. 
I mean, I think that means you're onto something. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Eve, thank you so much. This is really fun. Thank you for all the thoughtful questions and for reading the book with such care and tenderness. I really appreciate it. that's it for this week don't forget you can keep in touch with us on the twitters and the instagrams we are at nerd at podcast i am at greta m johnson we also have a newsletter it's pretty great every friday morning you will get a smattering of links to recipes or books or tv shows old nerdette episodes all kinds of good stuff you can sign up for that at wbez.org slash nerdette af the show is produced by me and hannah edgar our executive producer is brendan manizak we will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.